Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello? This is the Britflix Fryfest preview series 2019. Britflix podcast comes absolutely free, so can I ask a favour? I urge everyone to go over to my iTunes page, Stitcher page, SoundCloud page, or Spotify page, or whatever podcast medium you're using to listen, and please rate and review us. You can just rate us. They all have star meters, which can be clicked on in absolutely no time at all. Just click on it, and you're done, and it'll be really helpful. Trust me. The higher the star meter, the more reviews we get, the more ratings we get, the more the BritFlix.com podcast goes up the charts. Please, please, please. Come on, I'm begging you now. Everyone listening, go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud or Spotify pages, type BritFlix.com podcast and rate us. And if you've got a little bit more time on your hands, why not review us as well? Just two or three words of praise will do the world of good. It's really simple and really quick. Now on with the show. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast, FrightFest 2019 preview series. My name's Stuart Wright, and this episode's guest is Charlie Steeds. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Hello. And I should let the listener in on a little secret for this this luxurious Saturday that we're having. We're both fresh out the bath, but not in the same bathroom. <laughs> As uh, before we start this conversation, everyone knows that we're clean behind the ears um, and whatnot. So we've not come to talk about my personal hygiene, obviously, or, or yours for that matter. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> moving on swiftly, uh, we're going to talk about your film that's playing at Fright Fest. Uh, that's called yes. that's called The Barge People. Uh, now I'm going to put a link in the show notes so people can click on that to find out when and where, and we'll talk. We'll we'll, men- we'll define that towards the end of the podcast but before we do all that do you want to give people a brief synopsis as to what the barge people is all about yeah so the barge people is uh i sort of saw it as a, a british sort of retro style hills have eyes type slashery film right. uh, so it's about a group of people who go on a little holiday on the canal in the british countryside and uh, sooner or later they run into a group of horrible fish mutant creatures that are cannibalistic and you know carnage unfolds <laughs> indeed indeed yeah that's a pretty uh, accurate and succinct description of your film <laughs> um now before we go into detail about making that film i'm asking all guests to hack their mind back to their own 20th year as, as recognition of 20 years of fright fest so for you charlie what what springs to mind when you think of being 20 oh well um let me have a think about that. Um, you mean when I was age 20? Yeah, yeah, when you, were, when you were age 20. I mean, it could just be you saw the best gig of your life. It could have been a good year for film. It could be you had a great birthday party. It doesn't have to be. Okay, well, here you go. 
when I was age 20, mm -hmm. I'd just come out of film school, mm -hmm. I think, um, or around that sort of time, I think, yeah, I'd just come out of film school and, you know, looking to see where I was going to go, how I was going to do movies as a career mm -hmm. and it was a horrible year really as as it would be for most people you know you're fresh out of film school there's you know you're trying to find you know your place and, and, and a job and a way to get your foot on the ladder of filmmaking um but you know luckily for me it's only taken you know it was a it was a year a year or so of well less than a year actually it's probably about six months of sort of misery and in fact on my it was either my 20th birthday or my 21st birthday. I can't quite remember. Um, I, was, I wasn't even able to meet up with my friends for my birthday because I was starting my first ever, you know, boring desk, desk job. Mm -hmm. uh, but luckily that only lasted a few months. And uh, then I was able to start going into making these horror films. So it's, it's nice to look back where I was at 20 uh, compared to, you know, a year or so after and onwards. <laughs> mm, brilliant. No, that sounds like a, a really interesting sort of pivotal time for you. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so, so badge people then, um, yeah. you directed this and Christopher Lombard wrote it. So yes. do you want to, I mean, for the, because the audience is largely going to be film filmmakers or people that want to be filmmakers and, and mm -hmm. genre fans. But if we think about the sort of people who are looking to make films, sort of, at what point did you, at what point in the script writing process do you see the script that Christopher Lombard's written or are you working with him to develop the script? Uh, well, what happened with this one was, so I was making my first horror film, mm -hmm. uh, which was Escape from Cannibal Farm. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were making it, uh, well, all sort of around the west of England. Uh, and we were making it, some of it in Bradford-on-Avon, where there's a lot of nice canals, mm -hmm. which is where we filmed a lot of the barge people a couple of years later. Yeah. And uh, because the style of Escape from Cannibal Farm is this sort of retro slashery, you know, I'm, I'm really inspired by movies from, the, you know, the 70s, uh, that kind of very... Uh, I suppose gritty, you know, like I mentioned earlier, The Hills Have Eyes, those types of movies. Yeah. Um, my lead actress on the film, Kate Davis Speak, she kept saying during the shoot, you know, this, what you're filming in the sort of locations, it reminds me of this script that a good friend of hers, a writer called Chris Lombard, uh, had written and she'd read the script, The Barge People, which had been floating around uh, trying to get done for about five years, I think. Okay. Um, and I think Chris, Chris had had, you know, over those five years, there was lots of interest from, you know, these people and these people, uh, but it never quite got to the point where it was getting made. Mm -hmm. And so she said, why don't you meet with Chris? Because, you know, the, the lead role in The Barge People had been written for her specifically. Okay. And she thought that the style would sort of match. Um, so then I met with Chris, uh, I liked the sound of the script. I loved that it was, I loved that it was British, you know, set on the canal, like, uh, with Escape from Cannibal Farm, I took a lot of inspiration from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, mm. but, uh, it could, because I'm so inspired by American horror movies, as probably a lot of people are, um, I was, I was always trying to find a way how I could do something that's uniquely British, yeah. uh, and sort of while I was making that film, it made me see the British countryside. You know, you had you had to find a way of making the British countryside as scary as, say, you know, the Texas desert or something mm. like that. Got you. Um, 
So this idea of the canal uh, and how spooky that could be is what sort of made me think the project could be really fun. So I read the script. Um, I sort of, you know, writing is my favorite part of the process. And this was the first time I directed a script that I'd not written myself. Got you. Um, so when I read it with Chris, I basically said to him that I'm going to read it. And if I like it, I'll make it as you've written it. And if I, you know, think it's got potential and I want to make all these changes, well, that was the cycle he'd been stuck in for, for those years. Yeah. And that's not the way we wanted to do it. Um, so I read the script. Um, I really enjoyed, you know, uh, I, it was it was right up my street. I think I, I'm really attracted to sort of backwards horror movies uh, where, you know, people go venturing into the countryside and end up running into some mutants. And I loved the aspect of uh, the canal and the fact that these mutants could be related to, you know, the water and fish and they were sort of mutations of their own environment. Um, so, so I, and I would say that was sort of the, the major thing that we sort of agreed on that we wanted to move forward with that was that we wanted these barge people to, to become more sort of fish-like, hmm. uh, which wasn't in the original draft, but that was sort of one of the things that really excited me was that we could turn them into these sort of fish monster things. Got you. Um, and yeah, I just, I just thought it sounded super interesting. No, that's really interesting. That's, I mean, it's quite, it's quite uh, the sort of dawn of the dots up there. You know, you're working with yeah. an actor. She says, I've heard this thing. It reminds me of this environment. It's sort of like, it's not like what you imagine is the typical route for finding a script. But then I guess what is the route for finding a script? Is the... Yeah, yeah, it's not at all. And in fact, that's part of what's been so sort of nice and special about this specific project is, you know, I'm really good friends with Kate. Kate's really good friends with Chris. I then became really good friends with Chris. So all through the process of the barge people, you know, this one kind of felt like, uh, you know, a, a, a more like friends making a movie together. Mm. Whereas usually, uh, you know, like in the instance of the film I'm making at the moment, I've been asked to make a specific story, um, you know, by, by a production company. And that's what we're doing. And, you know, it's, it wasn't my original idea. I've taken the script and with a co-writer, turned it into something that is unique to, you know, my own style. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you always, you always have your film being overseen by a company who needs it to be commercial in a certain way or, or fit in with, uh, you know, modern trends. But the Barge people, we were totally solo. Uh, we weren't connected to any distributor, any production company. Um, and since my first film, I think that's the only one that I've actually done that way, where we didn't we didn't have all that stuff put in place from the beginning. So we kind of just had faith in the project and hoped that uh, a distributor would come on board um, and and you know like it. And that's why the film, uh, you know, I, usually I wouldn't have been able to get away with the amount of sort of carnage and blood splatter, you know. Uh, that's I usually get requested to tone down all that type of stuff, but with the barge people, we could chuck in the the swear words and, and blood and guts and gore. So yeah. Well, okay. So there's sort of a bit about being let off the leash with this one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we were we were totally just allowed to do our own thing. Yeah. So Kate Kate Davis speak had the the role was written for her by Chris because they were friends and he kind of 
can't yes. use those as a totem, so Shonsi Shien's, she does get to be the role of cat. So mm-hmm. for the rest of the cast, how 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 were they discovered to be in the film? Is there was was some of those already lined up, or were they people you cast, you auditioned and found people you've worked with before? Yeah, in fact, pretty much all of them, apart from Kate, were people that uh, we did a lot of auditions. We saw a lot of different people, um, and me, Kate, and Chris cast the film together uh, because the three of us were you know, also connected with the project. We all knew exactly what we wanted from each character. So the three of us uh, did all the castings together. Um, Kate's really well connected on social media and among other actors. So, you know, that was able to draw in a lot of attention from a lot of people that I might not otherwise have seen or had the time to actually find. And it was quite, it was quite a big cast. So uh, almost everyone was new on board. Uh, and then there were just a couple of, uh, people who are my regulars that I put in, you know, almost all of my films. I like to have my my reoccurring supporting cast. But um, yeah, uh, Mark. So, and so who, were they, who were they? Who, who were they? Uh, that would have been uh, Barrington Delaroche, who who is a you'll recognise him in the film. He's a tall, long, grey-haired, uh, scary-looking man. Yeah, yeah, uh, the, harbing, all... the harbinger of doom. <laughs> exactly, and I mean that's basically. He's got the the total look to play the Harbinger of Doom character. That's a total cliche, mm. uh, especially in any backwoods horror movie. There's always that one creepy guy who comes and tells them they can't go any further and they should turn back. I mean that is basically Barrington's casting, and he's played that role in my films on more than one occasion. Brilliant. Um, but yeah, so I, I always like to include him uh, in a movie. Um, and yeah, just a couple of others. Um, but yeah, so, and then there was a lot of new faces like um, McKenna and Mark and Kane. Uh, some of these people had auditioned for my previous films uh, and I wanted to work with them, but just gave the part to somebody else. And then, you know, it all just sort of slotted together. And one thing that made the Barge people really interesting and fun to work on uh, was that this cast, they were just so much fun, you know. They they really threw their energy into the movie. Uh, and I think you can see that in, in terms of the action scenes and uh, what they're actually having to do. Because the film we, it's probably the only film I've made where I would say there was n- really not enough time and there was really not enough money. Hmm. Uh, I mean, it, that's always the case with everything I do. Yeah. Um, but with this one specifically. And so when it came time to film these, you know, action sequences, there's this, you know, seven-minute sequence on the barge, which is pretty much pure carnage. I mean, usually that would take me a long time to rehearse, make sure I've got everything perfect, but we didn't have the time for that. Uh, And so it was just a case of I'd explain to the actors what I wanted to happen, and instead of just rehearsing and rehearsing, making sure it was totally safe, no one was going to get any injuries. Uh, The actors were more interested in just, you know, going for it full throttle. So we'd just stop the rehearsal, we'd just just go for it. Let's just see what happens. And people got knocks and bumps and, you know, smashed their heads and rolled around. But, you know, like like sort of play fighting when you're younger, it was sort of that sort of thing. They they didn't mind, you know. Got you. They knew they they knew they were going to take a bit of a beating, but it was worth it, you know, for the scene. So so in so those interiors on the boat, that's a boat. Uh-huh. 
That is a set that we built. Okay. So all the exteriors are uh, shot on the canal mm-hmm. um, with actual barge uh, narrowboats. Got you. Um, and then because because I knew I wanted to fully destroy the set during during this uh, the first the first scene where we're introduced to the barge people properly mm-hmm. because I knew I wanted to destroy the boat. I just knew there was no way we could do that in a in an actual boat. So that was built as a set with, you know, like uh, we have the breakaway wall where, you know, a character gets thrown through one wall and smashes into the, the adjoining bedroom of the barge. Yeah. Um, so all of that kind of stuff we could do. And, I mean, we totally demolished it. Like by the end of that shoot, uh, you just walked through the set and it was almost just a skeleton left, you know, rubble everywhere, <laughs> uh, an inch thick blood and green goo on the floor and up the walls. I mean, it was just destroyed. So in, 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 a, so in terms of like time being and, and resources not being infinite, what, what mm. were your conversations with your cinematographer then, Michael Lloyd, about what you, what you wanted to capture about that kind of, that kind of action, the more broader stuff when you're out in the water? What, what, was, what was the tone and feel you were talking about with him? Well, uh, we knew that we had these limitations. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, our inspirations were these old 70s movies, things like um, uh, Long Weekend was a film that really inspired me in terms of, like, the look that, you know, they're out in nature the whole time, so there's a lot of natural lighting in Long yeah, Weekend. Yeah, yeah, it's a wonderful film. Um, yeah, and, and lots of interaction with you know, the woods and the trees and the wind and the water and the mud. Um, so that I wanted to take inspiration from that sort of thing. And we decided that we'd shoot the barge people. Uh, everything would would try to look sort of nice and still and, and nicely shot for everything before the barge people arrive. Um, but then as soon as sort of nighttime comes in the film, uh, we just took everything handheld. So in fact shooting it that way made it really difficult to make the film look good and, and to actually have production value because usually, you know, you you can get a bit of kit or, you know, a nice dolly or something that's going to make your shots look like, you know, they've got really good production value even though you're on a low budget. But in the case of this film, when everything's handheld and up close and sort of unrehearsed, it has this documentary feel, mm. you know, it's a very rough, very gritty feel. Uh, but that's what we wanted for the barge people, and uh, that really helped, you know, with, with the limitations we had. So that was the sort of conversation we had uh, between me and my cinematographer was, you know, we were just going to let the action unfold and just follow it the best we could and keep shooting until, uh, you know, we got what we wanted. Or, or there was no set left. Or there was no set left, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Now you're right because we do we do wander off into the sort of uh, you know off the beaten path as it were, uh-huh. um, which is kind of it, it is always that thing isn't it? I mean certainly once night draws in, mm-hmm. you know the countryside has its own sort of uh, horrors in the shadows which are basically just your imagination in many senses aren't they? Yes, yeah, uh-huh. and and so I'm guessing you were on location for all that for all that part of it. Yeah, so in fact. It was the barge interior where we were on a, a set build, mm. but the rest of it was on location. Um, and there were quite a few locations in the film. And that certainly, I mean, going out to all these different locations, that just gives the film its own 
atmosphere. You're not in control, you know, of of how these places are going to look. The canal at night time and the woods at night time. Obviously, we've we've pumped it full of smoke, so everything's you know very smoky and um, you know big blue shafts of moonlight and stuff like that. But being out on location, I think, you know, maybe of all my films, when I watch the barge people, I really get a sense of the locations and it really takes me back to being there in the middle of the night, you know, doing all these long night shoots in the cold and the wet and mud. Um, but I think that really helps the atmosphere of the film and helps you feel like these characters are really going on this journey because we kind of were, you know. And all, also all the cast sort of mentioned as we were shooting the film, it kind of felt like we were living out the script anyway because uh, we we rented out this barge went out on the barge and we were like the characters in the film mm. we're not countryside people we don't really know how to use a barge you know we did crash the barge a couple of times just like in the film we did annoy some of the locals because they don't like uh you know uh you know tourists coming onto the canal and not knowing how to steer their boats properly and blocking up the canal um, so we kind of felt like we were actually living out um, the events of, of the film, you know, minus the fish mutants. So, yeah, while we were filming uh, some of these night shoots, there was the tail end of a hurricane, some nearby hurricane. Mm -hmm. I can't remember which one it was. Um, and so we actually got caught up in uh, every night it was just stormy, full-blown wind, full-blown rain. And that actually meant that a lot of what is in the script, uh, we couldn't actually shoot. Uh, as intended uh, like for example there was this big sequence where there was supposed to be a big bonfire in the woods um, and one of the characters is tied up and being tortured and then there's a big fight sequence well it was so windy and so rainy that we literally first of all we couldn't get a bonfire going and it was just hell being out there in in the wet and the cold um, so we had to just look around at nearby locations and we managed to find this big old barn and so we just moved a lot of the action into the barn and other sort of surrounding farmhouses so oh really so that whole sequence was a reaction to the weather it wasn't that wasn't meant to be part of the big plan exactly exactly wow. so there was there was a whole sequence written that should have happened in the woods um, we were actually out in the woods and at about 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. I just said look this is impossible there's no way we can pull off this huge action scene in these conditions. So I said, let's forget about it. Tomorrow, I'll suss something out. So I had a sleep and then looked around all the locations that were available to us uh, on the farm. And we made from scratch on the day this whole action scene. You know, we, we just improvised it. We rehearsed it during the day. And then when it was nighttime, uh, you know, it was time to go. But you can see in the film these hurricane winds that I'm talking about because we had our smoke machine going, but I mean, it just looks like we've got all these wind machines going, but that was just genuinely the wind. And that was indoors wow. uh, with just the wind sort of coming through uh, the doorway of, of the barn. Um, and, you know, it, it was miserable to shoot, really miserable, actually. I don't think anyone... Any, uh, really... I'm going to say, I'm gonna say any, for people listening who might, be fa might end up facing the same challenge or similar... What, uh -huh. what, what top tips or advice have you got for sort of coping with it? If you do get stuck in that sort of situation where, you know, you've got this scene. I mean, like I said, this, this script has been 
uh, going for five years, you know, it's been in Chris's head for five years. And so the, these particular scenes, you know, you want to hang on to them because you've, that's what you've planned for. Yeah. You know, you've planned for this bonfire, but when you don't have much time, you don't have much money, you can't wait for the conditions to be perfect. You do just have to look at actually what you have rather than what you want to have or wish you had. And you have to just work with that. And in fact, I think most people uh, involved in the film would agree that there's no way we could have known this, but that sequence worked out a hell of a lot better than just a bonfire in the woods would have worked out. Mm. You know, it, it makes it so much more unique. And then the, uh, the, the following scene that comes straight after that, again, is in this location that we just found, this creepy old farmhouse. Um, that was, again, meant to be set in the woods. It wasn't supposed to be set in this old farmhouse, but I think that's probably my favorite sequence of the film. And uh, just just the location and all the uh, sort of old farm junk and rust and uh, old broken wood that's lying around, uh, all of that, you know, really adds to the production value. And, you know, it could have been really boring just going around the woods again and again. So, yeah. Now, obviously, we've not talked yet about the fish mutants, um, <laughs> so let's do that. Let's take an opportunity to do that. So, what 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 was your direct involvement with shaping what they look like, or mm -hmm. or what were the conversations like with the guys and girls who who, who created them for you? Um, well, the masks. In fact, we basically because our budget was low, we basically had to look at what was out there already okay. with the sort of top end. Uh, mask making people who make masks, you know, theme park attractions and scare mazes and stuff like that. And right. we then had to sort of, you know, you can get custom jobs done on these masks and you can enhance them with, for example, adding in your own teeth, uh, obviously like stuff like blood and then the costume that surrounds them. Um, I mean, we, we actually would have loved to have had the opportunity and the budget to I mean, we could have created some some of our own really crazy barge people creations. Um, and I, I would have loved to have done that, you know, made, made something totally unique, you know, where we could have just sketched out what we had in mind. Mm. Um, but we sort of had to work with uh, what was already out there and how we could sort of customise that to make it unique to the movie. Got you. Now, looking at the uh, the movie poster... Mm -hmm. that's available there's one with like a, one of the fish mutants sticking his hand out over, yeah. over the title I can't help but thinking that's very much that reminds me of like I could have been picking that up from the shelves of video shop in the 80s yeah I mean that that is basically uh, for, for me uh, making horror movies and how I love this genre and what inspires me is you know when I was a kid going around the video shops and looking on the dusty top shelf where you'd have all these films, uh, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street and Driller Killer and Video Nasty titles, all that mm. sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, with these beautiful hand-drawn uh, illustrations and a lot of 70s grindhouse and exploitation movies. Got you. That, that's kind of, that's the aesthetic of horror that I, that I love. Mm. Um, I, what, what I actually am not a fan of in terms of horror, what really turns me off is turning on a horror film and it's just modern day setting, you know, uh, modern houses, mo modern filmmaking style, lighting, as in, you know, not loads of smoke, you know, not loads of 
uh, grainy handheld stuff. You know, I prefer the horror film to have more character and not feel so pristine. I feel like everything feels very pristine. And in fact, when the companies uh, fund my movies, I think that's what they basically want me to do is to make these pristine, easy to sell horror movies. And and it's just not my cup of tea at all. Um, I, I much prefer things to have the look of like the late 70s and the early 80s. I think that's when horror was looking its best, had the best atmosphere. Um, so who, who's, who's, behind, who's behind that video artwork then? Who did, who, oh, sorry, poster artwork? Um, I think, are you talking about the one where uh, uh, the guy's got a machete and the machete's sort of coming down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he's like got the moon in his hand almost. That's it, yeah. Well, that one was done by um, a great poster artist called uh, Brutal Posters, I think is their name. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there has been another one that was done by Raven Banner, which is sort of a, a red a red front cover with uh, the fish mutant emerging Apocalypse Now style from the water. Got you. Um, but in fact, I think I'm still yet to settle on you know, my ideal poster for the barge people. Usually I'm not a fan of what gets, uh, what gets made by the distributors. Um, I'm usually not a fan of that. I usually like to get really involved and just use my own money to commission an artist who I'm a fan of. Um, and there's a few, uh, to, to get the poster made exactly how I want it made. Because Mm. like I said, uh, that's sort of part of my inspiration is, you know, these old video covers and that the look of those films, I I try and carry into the films themselves, you know, uh, the sort of the, the vivid colors of, of the posters. Uh, I try and bring that into the actual look of the film. Um, and uh, so the so the cover is extremely important to me. You know, I think you, you want to, at the end of the day, having gone through that whole process of making your film, have a poster there that you can just look at. And that sort of just summarizes, you know, what you loved about that particular project. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the poster is really important. And I still think that I still think there will be another one for the barge people that will be my personal official poster for me. <laughs> Good, good, good. Now let's let's tell people then. When can they see the film at Fright Fest? Um, it's on Monday the twenty sixth, and it's at I think three forty five p.m. in the Cineworld Leicester Square Discovery screen. It is indeed. Well, look, just gives me to say thank you very much for giving us your time on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely, my pleasure. The Britflix podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people. Please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes, or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. And the music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.